And uh, this is what Moses is saying. Anyone but me. Not me. The only thing is, is that God speaks. And when God speaks, that is that. When God speaks, He doesn't give multiple choice arrangements. He doesn't ask for our advice and we give Him counsel. He doesn't call a committee in to suggest uh, viable options. God has a plan. God has a will. And it will be carried out in the way that He wants. Even when people don't want to go along with Him, if He has chosen that person to do what He wants to do, it will happen. There may be a delay in it. And uh, overall, it's not really delaying God. God is a very patient God. But He will use people as instruments. He still does it. And then God's calling. He has a plan. But He never expects you to carry out that plan. Now let me say that again. might be better said. He never expects you and your own self to carry that out. Because you can't. That's what He's trying to get across to Moses. And Moses is just not getting it. He's trying to tell him that, no, you're not going to do it. It's me through you. That's the idea. God is the one who's going to pull it off. Anything that we do that's in His power, He's the one doing it. All He wants is an instrument. He wants that rake. He wants that hole. He wants that uh, lawnmower, you know, whatever it is, to do the job. So uh, He actually picks us, His people, to carry out His plan. All He wants really is to give yourself, give completely yourself to Him because He desires to use you. Now, why that is, I don't know. He doesn't need us at all. But He wants to put that into His plan. And it's perfect. Now Moses, I think, is a great illustration. He's a guy we can really pick on. And we can look back at this. And remember, as we're going through this, um, we will see ourselves in this man. He is a man. He's a man of faith. He's uh, found in Hebrews 11. And he was a a mighty man that God used. He was mighty because of what God did. But uh, how often... Did Moses have excuses? And then we have to look at ourselves and how often do we make excuses? We always are making excuses before God. Moses is an instrument of God. And even though Moses is going to balk at this and really not want to do it, and it's more than just a few occasions here. If you'll notice, we looked at two of those last week at the end of chapter 3. And we're going to pick up on three more. How many is that? Five times. And so when we realize that uh, even this man he just couldn't quite understand the details of the plan, uh, sometimes we are that way too. We just don't get it. He'd ask, who am I that I should do this to deliver the people out of here? Who am I? And all Moses really had to do was just be available. Just be available to let the Lord use him. Now God continued to explain to him that it's not going to be you doing it. It's going to be me doing it through you. And Moses kept making excuses. 
What am I going to say to them? Is what he said then. You know, uh, what am I going to tell them who you are? Uh, it, God has already appeared, or at least uh, the, the burning bush appeared and the voice came out of there. And uh, he just doesn't get it. God is going to continue to be patient. What am I going to say to them? And God said, my name is Yahweh. I am who I am. I am the self-existent one. I am the only one. Uh, Everything depends upon me. I depend upon nothing. So God assured him that even the leaders would pay attention to him. They would listen to him. They would obey what was being said. They would believe him. Now that should have done it, right? That's where we left off last week. And you say, okay, Moses, you're ready to go now, right? Because God has already said, no problem, they're going to listen. Uh, Moses, he just can't, he can't believe this. He continued to resist the Lord. He felt so inadequate. How many here have felt so inadequate? We feel so inadequate. We are. <laughs> That's the idea. We are totally inadequate. <laughs> we are empty. That's why He wants us to be empty, realize our emptiness, and let Him fill us up. And so Moses continues to resist, does not understand. It's God who does the work. Today we're going to look at more objections that Moses has. Five times altogether, does that change God's plan? Nope. God has His plan. It's going to come through. It's not like, oh no... What am I going to do? Moses is not going to be able to, to do this. He's not. He's just going to refuse. I'm going to have to go to somebody else. No. God doesn't change his mind. He will change us as he gets us willing to do his plan. And that's what he's doing with Moses here. He's changing Moses. Moses is thinking about self, really. So let's look at this true story. This really happened. This is not just a made-up little children's Bible story. This is real, right? God is getting His servant to trust and obey Him. So as we look at this, we can say, Oh, that's what He's doing to me. Yeah. That's what He's doing to all of us, right? First verse says, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me. Suppose that. Or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. He has already told Moses that they would. So the burning bush, God's been speaking to him, telling him exactly, giving him the promise and everything. And he says, well, what if? There's no what if with God. What he says he's going to do. Moses, God is not kidding He's not just playing around here. He's given this lengthy promise. And starting in verse 14 through verse 22 of chapter 3, he gave that lengthy explanation. He says, I am who I am. The elders are going to believe you. Uh, They're eventually going to be led out of Egypt. They're going to be led into freedom. And they're not even going to go empty-handed. That's how he finished that. They're going to be taking the things of the Egyptians with them, the gold and silver and the clothing. Moses would say, okay, I understand. We're ready. Is it now? (laughs) Without any question. You would think that that's exactly what he would have done. No, he says, but suppose. 
What if they won't believe? What if they won't listen to me? What if they say the Lord hasn't appeared to you? What if they say that? Now, this is not just some kind of question that Moses is asking here, but it's out and out, bold face objection. That's really what Moses is doing to God. He was thinking, hey, this is really great, Lord, in theory. This is a really good plan you got here, but it's useless because they're not going to believe that you spoke to me. I'm going to go up there and make a fool out of myself. I don't have the ability at all anymore to convince anybody. I'm 80 years old. I'm coming in there looking like an old man as being a shepherd. And it, Lord, you know, this is ridiculous. It wasn't so much that they wouldn't believe it. It's that Moses didn't believe. You see what's happening here? God's going to make them believe him. But Moses is just having a problem with this. And by the way, I'm sure he didn't feel like he would do very good just by simply dropping a name. Yahweh, I am. It was just not enough to him to convince the Israelites. I think Moses is like us because we are so often consumed with ourselves either thinking highly of ourselves, which is a lot of our problem, or thinking really lowly in ourselves, which is actually not really thinking lowly. It's, it's, it's too much self-esteem as saying, well, I, I just can't do those kind of things. That's just not me. I, I can't do that, you know. Uh, look how terrible of a person I am. And so we can have this self-loathing, uh, uh, false humility. And that's pride too. Because there again, it's about self. And this whole story is really not about Moses. You know, the deliverer here really is God, but Moses is being used as a uh, tool to, to deliver. So he's, he's just too consumed. It seems that he's actually fearing what the people are going to think rather than fearing who? God. Does this hit home with us? Sometimes we just are afraid that God is not going to have enough power in us that if we're around people and we show Christ in our lives like we do here, if we're around other people that are not Christians, maybe we need to just kind of blend in with them and I'll be over there on church on Sunday and I'll act like that, but whenever I'm around other people, I can't be like a Christian. No, that's hitting right home. That's what's happening here with Moses. He goes there. He's going to appear like a silly old man. You know, that's what he's thinking. He's, you know, I don't know what he's thinking, but it's something like that. He's probably thinking, hey, I know what it's like in Egypt. Remember, I grew up there 40 years. I lived there. If I go waltzing in there as an old shepherd from the desert, they're going to make a mockery out of me. They'll tar and feather me or whatever they do in Egypt. He's probably thinking of these things. What are they going to do to me? And by the way, to, to even go and do that is, is ridiculous enough. But to go to the throne of the Pharaoh, the leader of the free world, or the, the slave world <laughs> at that time, if, if I did get that access, can you imagine Pharaoh saying, okay, yeah, Moses, you can go ahead and take all those two million people out of here. We don't want them anyway. Just go ahead. Thank you a lot for asking. I wanted them out of here. Yeah, yeah. 
Pharaoh's really going to do that, right? Now, right to freedom. And that's what God's will is, and that's what's going to happen. Moses doesn't want to be a fool. He doesn't want to be embarrassed. Have you guys been there? We face that a lot. We're afraid to live out who we are. Why? Because we're selfish. We surely are. We're selfish. We're not going to let God's glory shine because I want to do what I want to do and I don't want to be embarrassed by it. This is going to be uncomfortable. He felt he had at least some dignity left. And he ran from Egypt and he comes back there. He tells them what God's going to do. It's going to sound like it's ridiculous. You guys can imagine that, can't you? That's got to be some of the things he's thinking. God had already told him they're going to listen. That this doesn't make sense. He didn't think they'd have any respect for him, the elders of Israel. He didn't have the outward credentials anymore. He doesn't have that kind of leadership power that that is known by them. And so the respect, he thinks, is not going to be there. Now, how often do we know what is right to do in standing up for the Lord But because we're embarrassed of our faith, we remain silent. You guys ever been there? You say, hey, 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 stop picking on me. I'm the one in here you're talking to. Stop it, right? (laughs) And every one of us is in here. You know what we're talking about. Sometimes we remain silent when we have an opportunity. We become afraid. We might lose respect. We might lose friends. We might lose relatives rather than honoring God. We just kind of blend in with what the world is and we don't want to be thought of as being kind of weird and strange. (laughs) That's probably some of the things that's happening with Moses. Well, that's the objection. Now we move on to God's response. Enough of the objections. Let's see what God has to say, right? So, the Lord said to him, verse 2, by the way, the, the word Lord there is Yahweh. The self-existent one. The one that has everything. What is it that, uh, that's in your hand? He said, a rod. He said, cast it on the ground. He said, cast it on the ground. It became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Moses was concerned about his credentials, so God gave him signs. Here. Moses was now going to experience power and miracles from the almighty great God. Right there on the spot. He's already seen one, hasn't he? That burning bush and him talking. Well, what does it say in 1 Corinthians 1.22 when Paul went out with the Gospel? What is it about the Jewish people? Even people today. We've always heard this. For Jews request a sign. Greeks seek after wisdom. We preach Christ crucified, right? We have a message. Signs. The Jews require signs. He says, okay, Moses, I'm going to give you signs. And the reason is, is to know that He is Lord. 
And that happens throughout the book of Exodus quite frequently. It, it said at the uh, verse 5 that they may believe the Lord God their fathers has appeared to you. Chapter 6, verse 7. Exodus 6, 7. You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Sorry, chapter 3 That's chapter 5. Let's try it again. 6, 7. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Chapter 10, verse 2. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Chapter 9, 14. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now these signs are meant for Moses, meant for the elders and and the people of Israel, and Pharaoh and all of Egypt. All these signs that God is going to perform through Moses. So he starts off showing Moses what kind of God he is. Naturally, Moses being a shepherd would have a staff in his hand. Remember, at this time, he's been out with uh, shepherding the sheep, just doing his job. And God takes an ordinary staff to do the extraordinary. Now, he did that with a bush already, burning bush, some old, old bush out there in the desert and lights it on fire and it doesn't consume, it keeps going. Now he takes this rod and uh, he's going to turn it into a snake. God was saying something, hey, uh, let me show a little of who I am. I told you who I am, but let me show you a little bit by doing something unexpected with it. Moses wasn't expecting this this day that he got up, was he? He didn't know what kind of confrontation he was going to have with the Lord. He didn't have a chance, did he? The two symbols of uh, Pharaoh and his authority were... A shepherd's crook. You've probably seen these maybe in pictures before. And the cobra. Whenever you think of Egypt, you think of the cobra. The shepherd's crook. Pharaohs were represented with the crook in one hand and a winnowing flail in the other. And then the cobra appears on the front of the Pharaoh's crown. That headdress that he wore. Now this is interesting. I don't want to tie too much into it, but I think it's fascinating that God would use this shepherd's staff and then this cobra something the Egyptians were very much uh, acquainted with. And uh, Pharaoh knew about that. Staff turns into a snake. Moses reacts, just like we would. Run and get out of there, right? Whoa. And then Moses then told to grab that snake at the tail. That's not where you grab a snake, is it? You, you want to get it up there around around the head and, and pinch that where he can't get you. You get it by the tail. But Moses is told by God to take him by the tail. 
And I think that would be a very dangerous move, but God wants him to do that because he has dominion over all of creation. The snake is not going to be allowed to bite him. That's how in charge God is. The staff was simply a tool. It's to be used by Moses by the power of God. Now, he's going to be using this staff throughout um, the Exodus. He uses this. There are many instruments today in our world. You have to think of these deals. It's an instrument. can be used for good. can be used for bad. Uh, I see a computer back there. can be used for good. be bad. We have guitars and drums, pianos, microphones, amps. They're instruments. They can be used for good, for the glory of God, or they can be used for bad. Television, radio, internet. You go on and on and on. All those things that can be used for God's glory. And then they're great that you can take well, like even today, we have this little bitty instrument up here that records this. I don't know how this works. There's no cassettes in there. There's no CDs in there. But it can be responsible for making CDs. Uh, it can go into the computer, and next thing you know, that it turns out going all over the world. I'm just amazed. I don't know if anybody out there all over the world even knows we exist. I don't, you know, I don't even know if anybody will ever hear it out there. But it's possible they could. It's funny how that gets around real quick. You can go on and on with that. Things can be used for good. Things can be used for bad. Our bodies can be used for good as instruments of righteousness or as instruments of unrighteousness. And so it is what God has given us. What a, what a tool. It can be used for the glory of God. It can be used for uh, the enemy, Satan. So, anyway, God can take these tools that we have, just like He took that rod, He can take these tools in His hand and, and put it in our hands and yield ourselves as instruments of righteousness. Is that incredible or what? Are you amazed by that? He can take these things that are man-made that really come from the hand of God because He's the one that gave us the materials to make them. But um, as things go, you know, as technology goes... We should use all that stuff for good, if you can. Whatever, whatever you're given, you know, use it. Whatever tools, you know, cooking tools can be used for glory of God, right? All the little bitty things can be holy. Everything can be holy. Everything should be holy. Yield yourself as instruments of righteousness. I think that's what it says in Romans 6. Well, he's got a second sign God has. If that's not enough, let's give, him, let's give Moses another Verse 6, and whenever God says, furthermore, I think maybe you better pay attention, right? Moses, furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. He put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. Behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And if they don't believe these two signs, or listen to your voice, we're going to the third one. All right. The second sign here. 
It's a skin disease. It says leprosy, and it very well could be. Um, Some writers say that it may not necessarily be leprosy. It's something that turns it into snow-like, white-like condition. Um, Not to argue that point, but it's, it's a terrible disease, and it's inflicted on Moses. You think of the curse that, that, that looks there. The significance here seems to be the authority that God has over disease and sickness. We've seen the authority He had over that snake. We, see, we will see later on in the plagues that God has authority over diseases, doesn't He? has authority over everything. It, it makes you think uh, of, of what is to come that maybe God is definitely preparing Moses and maybe he would think on this a little bit later. The boils. Remember the boils he sent on all the people? Well, he would do many signs, many wonders in Egypt. And the Lord can do whatever he pleases. All he asked of Moses was to stand before the king. <laughs> That's all he asked. What would you guys think? Go stand before the king. Deliver the message. And just get out of the way as God is going to shock the nation. He's going to shock the world. News gets around as when Israel was delivered and they were going uh, out into the... Uh, when they were in the wilderness and then uh, on up into Canaan. Uh, those nations knew who they were. And they were scared of them. They knew that this God is one did that. They shocked the world. God does here all these miracles do. Awesome power. Now, Moses, do you get it? Just in case people have trouble with that, I want you to go take some water out of the river, throw it on the ground, and watch the blood coagulate. Water turns to blood. Now, the Nile River was the source of Egypt's life. And they have a lot of great lakes and fresh streams running around there all over the place. There was a delta, but uh, this Nile River was the very life for all of Egypt coming on down through there. And, and to turn that into blood and coagulates an incredible thing. This was going to be the first of the plagues. God will use that shortly. The signs, I think, for one thing, are definitely convincing Moses that this really is a powerful God. But it will be used on the people and the Egyptians. And I think by this time, Moses' objections would be destroyed. Wouldn't you think that? After all this, his lack of credentials have to be just swallowed up as Yahweh is there and He says, Moses, you're going to be my agent. You're going to represent Me. You're going to represent My power. You're going to do things that are supernatural. But this evidence that has just been given to Moses in a huge, visible way now doesn't overcome a stubborn will. Moses is just... He's just stubborn. Moses didn't want to go to Egypt, and it's clear to see. God doesn't give up. He never gives up. We do. 
But God keeps on doing what He's going to do. So all this is about the character of God, isn't it? Well, here we go with Moses again. Verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord. Doesn't call him Yahweh here, just Lord. I'm not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. I have a speech problem. I don't know how much of a problem he really had. And even if he couldn't have talked, he could have done what God told him to do. God could have just zapped him right there and said, okay, you're not going to speak again or I'm going to do a Zechariah thing on you. you know, And not be able to speak for a while. God is so patient. If God can turn rods into serpents and He can cause leprosy and then cure leprosy. By the way, He took that rod that turned into a serpent and turned the serpent then back into a rod, didn't He? We didn't mention that, but... And he's going to turn the water into blood. Then he can enable Moses. I would think, if he has that kind of power, couldn't he take Moses' voice to speak with power? Couldn't he do that? Moses, I think, is grasping at straws. He's just trying anything because he does not want to do this. Maybe he wasn't good with words. I don't know. He was raised up those first 40 years kind of like being a prince, highly educated, I think he probably had the ability to speak very well. I don't know how it had been in the last 40 years. Maybe he kind of forgot how to speak. But he should have been thinking about God's power and God's glory. Now, where is his tension at? On himself. God says something. Moses says, okay, I know you're powerful enough. Uh, I can't do it. I, I, I can't talk. Uh, uh, I'm stuttering around, whatever. Uh, maybe he was stuttering whenever the, the bush thing happened. I don't know. Maybe that's when... I, would you, what, what, what would you say when you saw that? Lord, I just don't get my thoughts and words together very easy. My tongue is slow on the draw. I just can't get up in front of people. There we go. Now we're talking, right? I just can't get up in front of people and say anything. I just just can't do that. Well, Moses probably thinking, since I have this problem, you need to get somebody else. I've got a problem. I'm going to embarrass you. I can't do this. So um, the idea is... Hey, I know somebody you can get. You need to go get somebody. Is he saying that God didn't know about his problem? If he does have a real problem with speech, that God doesn't know about it? Is he saying that God... I can't believe you could make me be able to speak, though. God has already said, I am. And that means he's limitless in what he can do. His power is great. Paul knew about this when he went into Corinth. Go into 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First three verses. 
writing to the Corinthians, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Do verse 4. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Corinth, Athens, Greeks, philosophy, great human wisdom flying around everywhere. And he's going to come in there and talk about the incarnation God becoming man and then that man living a perfect life and then dying and then resurrecting. He's going to say those kind of things? Well, that's going to be a laughing stop matter, isn't it? So, Paul doesn't go along with the philosophy and try to change things. He just preaches a simple gospel. And that is what we do today. We don't have to accommodate people's ears if they don't really want to listen to the gospel and God is not waking them up, then don't be worrying about it. God will do His thing. We're just a, uh, we're just a mouth that He's using. And so that's what Paul is saying. I'm sure Paul was highly uh, eloquent if he wanted to. He was highly educated, wasn't he? But he came in preaching the simple gospel, which is profound, by the way. The truth of the matter is, when we see Moses speaking, he's very eloquent, delivering in the power of the Lord. His farewell speech in Deuteronomy is magnificent. I don't see any stuttering there. Of course, that's many years later, but he did have times where he did speak to Pharaoh as it came on. I think another thing, I think Moses is very impolite here. He's trying to be polite. But he's implying maybe that God had not corrected the problem that he has. Maybe he has a speech problem. God, if you want me to do this, why, did, why do I have this problem here? Why did you give this to me? I can't speak anymore. Maybe. I don't know. Just a thought. Okay, verse 11 and 12. Let's look at God's response. What does God have to say? (laughs) This is a conversation going back and forth. Isn't that what we always want to do? Okay, let's look and see what God says. So the Lord, Yahweh, said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. No problem, Moses. Got this covered. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do, Moses. I'm going to put the words into your mouth. You're going to speak it. It's going to come out. It's going to work. He gives him some who questions. It reminds me of Job. Right at the end of the book of Job. And God appears to Job after all this time. says, where were you whenever I created the world? He asked him these questions and Job finally got it too. The most righteous man on the face of the earth. Righteous in God. 
but he still had lessons to learn. And God taught him. He says, who are you to say this to me? Who are you to question me? And so God said, who made man's mouth? If I made it, I can surely do what I just told you that we're going to do. I can do that. Matter of fact, I think it's interesting. Who makes the mute? I don't know about saying anything there, but did you just see what I saw? John chapter 9. There was a man born blind. Lived that way for many decades. And God, or Jesus says that he was born that way so glory would be brought to the Lord at that moment when he'd be healed. Man, those thoughts are high above me. I don't know what... The depths of that is, is incredible. All I can say is that God has control over everything and He causes things and He also has the answer to everything. Who, who makes the mute? Who makes the deaf? The seeing or the blind? God is sovereign over all, isn't He? And so he says, hey, I'll be with your mouth. Now, I would call that a divine speech therapy. Yeah, this is the best therapy you could ever have. Foolproof, it'll work. God says, I'll make your voice work. I'm going to be in it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give that to you. If, if we're filled with God's Word, do we read this every day? You're filled with the Holy Spirit if you are filled with God's Word. If you're filled with God's Spirit, you'll be wanting to be filled with His Word to go hand in hand. If we're filled with God's Word and His Spirit, He will give us the words when we need them. I know He promised that to the apostles, but I think He does that today and I think everyone here has been in a situation where Scripture just came to you. It was a Scripture that you had read or heard taught on or whatever. If you fill your mind with these things, keep renewing. Whenever that time comes when you need to say something and you know it's that time, God will give you the grace and the words to say it with. You can say, yeah, but I've got to watch what I say because I get so angry and mad whenever I hear something that's so against God. He says, I'll give you the grace to do that. I'll give you the patience to be able to say that when you're supposed to say it. And it's in His timing, of course. We don't go around forcing things and just uh, being a nuisance to people. But we, um, we know that God is going to give us what we need to say. It's His Word, isn't it? God is just telling Moses, trust me. Just trust me. <laughs> now, three times Moses has objected. He just said, I can't speak. Okay. Well, it goes to another one. I said this five times. You ready for some more? Verse 14, 13, what's the first word? But. <laughs> My goodness, Moses. What did God just say? Oh my Lord, He doesn't call Him Yahweh. <laughs> oh my Lord, oh sir, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Send somebody else. I don't want to do it. Just, just 
you know, he doesn't know what else to say now. You know, he's already said, I can't speak. And God says, here's what I'll do. I mean, he's got him in a corner, doesn't he? God has got him all the way painted into the corner and Moses can't get out. Oh, Lord, please send someone else. Lord, this task is not for me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at who I am. Look, look at me. You know, this is... My goodness, I'm a shepherd. I, I can't talk. Somebody else can do a whole lot better than this. There are many more out there that are qualified much better than I ever could do this. There, God. Take that. Luke six forty six. Can you believe this? Yeah, you better. How often have we done this? Have we done this? Probably so. These Old Testament stories are written for us in our edification, aren't they? 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Does it say something to you? That's the whole point there. This is about the building the house on the rock. And you know the other the, the story, you know, the ones who built their house on the sand. Um, and of course these are people that the Lord didn't really know. He didn't have a relationship with that building on the sand. But the ones who do, they do the things which he says. You say, Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things I say. Now Moses is at that point. I'm glad that he's been chosen by God to do this. Otherwise, he'd be that guy building on the sand. God's giving him a lot of extra opportunities, isn't he? How about Acts chapter 10, verse 14? Uh, This is the vision that is given by God to Peter. You know about that vision about the beast and all the animals and everything? And uh, Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. <laughs> oh, i got news for you, Peter. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. Peter and Moses. I wonder if they're speaking to each other right now. Pretty good illustration of us. Not to give excuses. As a matter of fact, we really have more revelation than Moses ever had. We don't see those great power miracles that he did. Maybe like that. But we see his word here and we see the effect that it does on ourselves and what it does on other people. Moses calls him Lord but refuses him. He just says no. Uh, I'm not the one. I, I, I don't want to do it. That's basically what he's saying. Now, from 14 to 17, God responds again. 14 to 17. God doesn't give up. But He does become angry at particular times. 
he's going to do his will, he's going to do his will, no matter what the instrument wants to do. If the instrument still doesn't want to do it, even though here we have the sovereignty of God, and yet at the same time the obedience of man that comes into play. We have to put that in there. And Moses is just out and out disobedient. God's going to get angry. And when God gets angry, watch out, right? But he's still patient through it. But God is a God of anger. God does discipline His children. And that can be very uncomfortable and very painful sometimes when He puts us through um, a time of hard trial as He's teaching us something. That might be out of disobedience or might even be out of obedience. But in this case, Moses is disobedient. So the anger of the Lord, verse 14, was kindled by the Word. That's Yahweh again, the Lord against Moses, and he said, Okay, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know he can speak well. Look, he's also coming out to meet you. Hmm. When he sees you, he'd be glad in his heart. God, in one sense, in a human sense, accommodates Moses. And I put this in a, in a human way. He says, uh, it's time for Moses to learn a lesson here out of this. Okay. Uh, you have you have a brother and he speaks real well. Uh, I'll give you what you want here. I'll have him do the speaking. By the way, you're going to be the one representing though. Um, sometimes what God gives us is not the best for us. And what I say is what we ask from Him if it's not in tune with the Word of God, sometimes He can still give us things that we thought we wanted. And when we realize that we don't want this now, <laughs> it's a situation we go, oh, God always knows best. God knows best. He's been showing it. Uh, he says, okay, Moses, have it your way. Have it your way. Is that a commercial? <laughs> God said, all right, Moses, I'm going to have you sent out along with your brother. This is not going to be my best. Now, he's not saying that, but that's what it's going to be. One day, you're going to wish you had followed my call. You're going to really regret this. Now, Moses, God doesn't say that. He goes ahead and says, okay, I'll give you Aaron. He said, what do you mean? Wasn't this God's plan in, in the long run. Well, I guess you could say overall, because if he didn't want to do it, he wouldn't have let it happen. But here's where the humanist comes in and our own choices being underneath God's sovereignty. If you're Christians, we, we still make choices. Uh, either they're bad or they're good. Um, if we're filled with God's Spirit, it shouldn't be bad, should it? Well, Aaron wasn't always a help to Moses. You remember that God accommodated Moses' desire here, but it's less than the best. Aaron was the one who was impatient while Moses was up on the mountain. The people were being impatient. Aaron is the one who created the golden calf. It was ultimately his responsibility. And he led the people to worship this calf, uh, an Egyptian idol. He told the people, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. 
as they were out there. And this is later going to happen. What did Moses want? He wanted somebody to speak for him. Aaron had gotten uh, a lot of uh, respect from the people since he had been hanging out with Moses. As a matter of fact, he's the spokesman, so maybe uh, Moses is taking his time. Come on, Aaron. And, and they, they did push him to do that. How about Miriam? Aaron and Miriam together were critical of him later on also. Aaron. Sometimes it didn't work out too good. What about God's plan? God's plan is, He says, I'm going to be with you, Moses. And by the way, this is not going to be instead of Moses as he uh, is going to use Aaron, the Levite. I don't know if uh, Moses really gets it when he says he's Levite, but Moses is a Levite too, but that's the priestly family. Uh, and later on, when they have the priestly family developed uh, as far as what duties it will be, the Levites are going to be the, the priest. Uh, Aaron's like the, uh, the high priest. He says, um, he's coming out to meet you, by the way. Isn't that something? Sovereignty of God. When he sees you, he's going to be glad. Boy, he's going to be rejoicing. And uh, Now, you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. Uh, I'm going to give you the words and then you pass it on to him. Hmm. He's still going to use Moses as that mediator, isn't he? I'll be with your mouth and with his mouth and I'll teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people and he himself shall be as a mouth for you and you shall be to him as God. It means you're the go-between here, Moses. You're not getting out of this. Just because he's going to be doing some speaking, it's come from me to you. You pass it on. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. Getting ready to close it out here. What a plan. Aaron is not going to replace Moses at all. It's God's plan all the way to use Moses. He's just going to teach a lesson. Aaron is going to be Moses' mouth, but Moses would be Aaron's God in the sense that he mediates between him and God. Moses is God's chosen instrument. That's just the way it's going to be. Actually, as we'll see, I think Moses has a lot of extended dialogues with the Pharaoh later on. He seems to be the one speaking later on. We can't fool God, can we? <laughs> How about the staff? Right here, verse 17, last one here. You shall take this rod in your hand, which you shall do these signs. Don't forget your staff, Moses. Don't forget it. Take this. Take it with you. The staff is going to be used in the plagues, the narratives, those stories about the plagues. The shepherd's staff. Now think about it. The shepherd's crook, the staff, piece of wood. Don't forget that, Moses. It's going to be your instrument. Staff will humble the power of the world. Egypt. It's going to humble them. 
And they see Moses, he's doing that staff, and he does those miracles with that staff. I think it's going to shock everybody. It'll cause the water to part. <laughs> what an amazing thing. We still talk about that today. People still try to make it less than a miracle. Being just a little bit of reeds. A little bit of water is ankle deep. Yeah, you, you drown a whole Egyptian army in an ankle deep water. That's even more of a miracle. <laughs> no. no this, this, this is a huge miracle that God does. And He leads the people to Mount Horeb. Two million people. He takes them out there. He's got that shepherd's staff. It's the symbol of lowliness to bring about redemption. Just a little tool. God didn't need that. He didn't even need Moses. That's what He does. He uses us. Little old us. I was watching Big Daddy Weave last night. Well, they got a couple guys pretty big. Man, can they ever play. Those guys, if you were to take a look at them, you're walking down the street and somebody would say, hey, that's a band that has, has sold millions of records. And you go, yeah, right. And by the way, they might be walking down the street barefooted. They used to go around barefooted. I think they, they've got enough money now. They had, they had brand new tennis shoes on last night. But they said, somebody said, wow, if God can do that to you guys, there's hope for all of us. <laughs> and that's what we put in front of us. There is hope for all of us because God has a plan. The overall plan of redemption is amazing. He's already brought you into that. And what you're going to do in this plan, as you're already doing it, God has a tremendous plan ahead. And don't think that, hey, I'm too young. Or, hey, I've got the rest part, the best part of my life ahead. Or don't think, oh, the best part of my life is gone and uh, there's not much time left so I'm just going to not do anything. We can't do that. All of that, right? All the above. God knows us better than we know ourselves. Does He know Moses? Yeah. We must trust and obey. He knows our weaknesses. Well, He knows all of us. The will of God will never, ever lead us where the power of God can't enable us. He enables us. We are to take Him at His word. When He calls us to serve Him, we should respond with trust. He's going to empower us to do that job that He calls us to do. Let's pray.